Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Golden State Media Concepts presents... The GSMC Classic Series, with episodes of some of your favorites from a day gone by. A time gone by. Join us as we time travel to some of your classic favorites from yesteryear. The GSMC Podcast Network invites you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the GSMC Classic Series on the Golden State Media Concepts Podcast Network. Chapter 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Greenman. A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain. Chapter 2. King Arthur's Court. The moment I got a chance, I slipped aside privately and touched an ancient common-looking man on the shoulder and said in an insinuating confidential way, Friend! Do me a kindness. Do you belong to the asylum, or are you just on a visit or something like that? He looked me over stupidly and said, Marry, fair sir, me seemeth. That will do, I said. I reckon you are a patient. I moved away, cogitating, and at the same time keeping an eye out for any chance passenger in his right mind that might come along and give me some light. I judged I had found one presently, so I drew him aside and said in his ear, if I could see the head-keeper a minute, only just a minute— Prithee, do not let me— Let you what? Hinder me, then, uh, if the word please thee better. Then he went on to say he was an undercook, and could not stop to gossip, though he would like it another time, for it would comfort his very liver to know where I got my clothes. As he started away he pointed, and said yonder was one who was idle enough for my purpose, and was seeking me besides, no doubt. This was an airy, slim boy in shrimp-colored tights that made him look like a forked carrot. The rest of his gear was blue silk and dainty laces and ruffles, and he had long yellow curls, and wore a plumed pink satin cap tilted complacently over his ear. By his look he was good-natured, by his gait he was satisfied with himself. He was pretty enough to frame. He arrived, looked me over with a smiling and impudent curiosity, said he had come for me, and informed me that he was a page. "'Go long,' I said. "'You ain't more than a paragraph.' It was pretty severe, but I was nettled. However, it never fazed him. He didn't appear to know he was hurt. He began to talk and laugh in happy, thoughtless, boyish fashion as we walked along, 
and made himself old friends with me at once, asked me all sorts of questions about myself and about my clothes, but never waited for an answer, always chattered straight ahead as if he didn't know he had asked a question and wasn't expecting any reply, until at last he happened to mention that he was born in the beginning of the year 513. It made the cold chills creep over me. I stopped and said, a little faintly, "'Maybe I didn't hear you just right. Say it again, and say it slow. What year was it?' Five-thirteen. Five-thirteen. You don't look it. Come, my boy, I am a stranger and friendless. Be honest and honorable with me. Are you in your right mind? He said he was. Are these other people in their right minds? He said they were. And this isn't an asylum? I mean, it isn't a place where they cure crazy people? He said it wasn't. Well, then, I said, either I am a lunatic, or something just as awful has happened. Now tell me, honest and true, where am I? In King Arthur's court. I waited a minute, to let that idea shudder its way home, and then said, And according to your notions, what year is it now? 528, 19th of June. I felt a mournful sinking at the heart, and muttered, I shall never see my friends again, never, never again. They will not be born for more than thirteen hundred years yet. I seemed to believe the boy. I didn't know why. Something in me seemed to believe him. My consciousness, as you may say. But my reason didn't. My reason straightway began to clamor. That was natural. I didn't know how to go about satisfying it because I knew that the testimony of men wouldn't serve. My reason would say they were lunatics and throw out their evidence. But all of a sudden I stumbled on the very thing, just by luck. I knew that the only total eclipse of the sun in the first half of the sixth century occurred on the 21st of June, A.D. 528, O.S., and began three minutes after twelve noon. I also knew that no total eclipse of the sun was due in what to me was the present year, i.e., 1879, so if I could keep my anxiety and curiosity from eating the heart out of me for forty-eight hours, I should then find out for certain whether this boy was telling me the truth or not. Wherefore, being a practical Connecticut man, I now shoved this whole problem clear out of my mind till its appointed day and hour should come, in order that I might turn all my attention to the circumstances of the present moment, and be alert and ready to make the most out of them that could be made. One thing at a time is my motto, and just play that thing for all it is worth, even if it's only two pair and a jack. I made up my mind to two things. If it was still the nineteenth century and I was among lunatics and couldn't get away, I would presently boss that asylum, or know the reason why, and if, on the other hand, it was really the sixth century all right, I didn't want any softer thing. I would boss the whole country inside of three months, for I judged I would have the start of the best educated man in the kingdom by a matter of thirteen hundred years and upward. I'm not a man to waste time after my mind's made up, and there's work on hand, so I said to the page, now, Clarence, my boy, if that might happen to be your name, I'll get you to post me up a little, if you don't mind. What is the name of that apparition that brought me here? My master and thine? 
that is the good knight and great lord sir kay the seneschal foster-brother to our liege the king very good go on tell me everything he made a long story of it but the part that had immediate interest for me was this he said i was sir kay's prisoner and that in the due course of custom i would be flung into a dungeon and left there on scant commons until my friends ransomed me unless i chanced to rot first i saw that the last chance had the best show but i didn't waste any bother about that time was too precious the page said further that dinner was about ended in the great hall by this time and that as soon as the sociability and the heavy drinking should begin sir kay would have me in and exhibit me before king arthur and his illustrious knights seated at the table round and would brag about his exploit in capturing me and would probably exaggerate the facts a little but it wouldn't be good form for me to correct him and not over safe either and when i was done being exhibited then ho for the dungeon but he clarence would find a way to come and see me every now and then and cheer me up and help me get word to my friends get word to my friends i thanked him i couldn't do less and about this time a lackey came to say i was wanted so clarence led me in and took me off to one side and sat down by me well it was a curious kind of spectacle and interesting it was an immense place and rather naked yes and full of loud contrasts it was very very lofty so lofty that the banners depending from the arched beams and girders away up there floated in a sort of twilight there was a stone-railed gallery at each end high up with musicians in the one and women clothed in stunning colors in the other the floor was of big stone flags laid in black and white squares rather battered by age and use and needing repair as to ornament there wasn't any strictly speaking though on the walls hung some huge tapestries which were probably taxed as works of art battle-pieces they were with horses shaped like those with children cut out of paper or created in gingerbread with men on them in scale armor whose scales are represented by round holes so that the man's coat looks as if it had been done with a biscuit punch there was a fireplace big enough to camp in and its projecting sides and hood of carved and pillared stonework had the look of a cathedral door along the walls stood men-at-arms in breastplate and morion with halberts for their only weapon rigid as statues and that is what they looked like in the middle of this groined and vaulted public square was an oaken table which they called the table round it was as large as a circus ring and around it sat a great company of men dressed in such various and splendid colors that it hurt one's eyes to look at them they wore their plumed hats right along except that whenever one addressed himself directly to the king he lifted his hat a trifle just as he was beginning his remark mainly they were drinking from entire ox-horns but a few were still munching bread or gnawing beef-bones there was about an average of two dogs to one man and these sat in expectant attitudes till a spent bone was flung to them and then they went for it by brigades and divisions with a rush and there ensued a fight which filled the prospect with a tumultuous chaos of plunging heads and bodies and flashing tails and the storm of howlings and barkings deafened all speech for the time but that was no matter for the dog-fight was always a bigger interest anyway 
the men rose sometimes to observe it the better and bet on it and the ladies and the musicians stretched themselves out over their balusters with the same object and all broke into delighted ejaculations from time to time in the end the winning dog stretched himself out comfortably with his bone between his paws and proceeded to growl over it and gnaw it and grease the floor with it just as fifty others were already doing and the rest of the court resumed their previous industries and entertainments as a rule the speech and behavior of these people were gracious and courtly and i noticed that they were good and serious listeners when anybody was telling anything i mean in a dog-fightless interval and plainly too they were a childlike and innocent lot telling lies of the stateliest pattern with a most gentle and winning naivety and ready and willing to listen to anybody else's lie and believe it too it was hard to associate them with anything cruel or dreadful and yet they dealt in tales of blood and suffering with a guileless relish that made me almost forget to shudder i was not the only prisoner present there were twenty or more poor devils many of them were maimed hacked carved in a frightful way and their hair their faces their clothing were caked with black and stiffened drenchings of blood they were suffering sharp physical pain of course and weariness and hunger and thirst no doubt and at least none had given them the comfort of a wash or even the poor charity of a lotion for their wounds yet you never heard them utter a moan or groan or saw them show any sign of restlessness or any disposition to complain the thought was forced upon me the rascals they have served other people so in their day it being their own turn now they were not expecting any better treatment than this so their philosophical bearing is not an outcome of mental training intellectual fortitude reasoning it is mere animal training they are white indians end of chapter two this is chapter three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information and to volunteer visit LibriVox.org. a connecticut yankee in king arthur's court by mark twain chapter three knights of the table round mainly the round-table talk was monologues narrative accounts of the adventures in which these prisoners were captured and their friends and backers killed and stripped of their steeds and armor as a general thing as far as i could make out these murderous adventures were not forays undertaken to avenge injuries nor to settle old disputes or sudden fallings out no as a rule they were simply duels between strangers duels between people who had never even been introduced to each other and between whom existed no cause of offence whatever many a time i had seen a couple of boys strangers meet by chance and say simultaneously i can lick you and go at it on the spot but i had always imagined until now that that sort of thing belonged to children only and was a sign and mark of childhood but here were these big boobies sticking to it and taking pride in it clear up into full age and beyond yet there was something very engaging about these great simple-hearted creatures something attractive and lovable there did not seem to be brains enough in the entire nursery so to speak to bait a fish-hook with but you didn't seem to mind that after a little because you soon saw that brains were not needed in a society like that 
and indeed would have marred it, hindered it, spoiled its symmetry, perhaps rendered its existence impossible. There was a fine manliness observed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...in almost every face, and in some a certain loftiness and sweetness that rebuked your belittling criticisms and stilled them. A most noble benignity and purity reposed in the countenance of him they called Sir Galahad, and likewise in the king's also, and there was majesty and greatness in the giant frame and high bearing of Sir Lancelot of the Lake. There was presently an incident which centred the general interest upon this Sir Lancelot, at a sign from a sort of master of ceremonies, six or eight of the prisoners rose, and came forward in a body, and knelt on the floor, and lifted up their hands toward the ladies' gallery, and begged the grace of a word with the Queen. The most conspicuously situated lady in that massed flower-bed of feminine show and finery inclined her head by way of assent, and then the spokesman of the prisoners delivered himself and his fellows into her hands for free pardon, ransom, captivity, or death, as she in her good pleasure might elect. And this, as he said, he was doing by command of Sir Kay, the seneschal, whose prisoners they were, he having vanquished them by his single might and prowess in sturdy conflict in the field. Surprise and astonishment flashed from face to face all over the house. The Queen's gratified smile faded out at the name of Sir Kay, and she looked disappointed, and the page whispered in my ear with an accent and manner expressive of extravagant derision, "'Sir Kay, forsooth! Oh, call me pet names, dearest, call me a marine! In twice a thousand years shall the unholy invention of man labor at odds to beget the fellow to this majestic lie!' Every eye was fastened with severe inquiry upon Sir Kay, but he was equal to the occasion. He got up and played his hand like a major, and took every trick. He said he would state the case exactly according to the facts. He would tell the simple, straightforward tale, without comment of his own. "'And then,' said he, "'if ye find glory and honour due, ye will give it unto him who is the mightiest man of his hands that ever bear shield or strake with sword in the ranks of christian battle even him that sitteth there and he pointed to sir launcelot ah he fetched them it was a rattling good stroke then he went on and told how sir launcelot seeking adventures some brief time gone by killed seven giants at one sweep of his sword and set a hundred and forty-two captive maidens free, and then went further, still seeking adventures, and found him, Sir Kay, fighting a desperate fight against nine foreign knights, and straightway took the battle solely into his own hands, and conquered the nine. And that night Sir Launcelot rose quietly, and dressed him in Sir Kay's armour, and took Sir Kay's horse, and got him away into distant lands, and vanquished sixteen knights in one pitched battle, and thirty-four in another, 
and all these and the former nine he made to swear that about whitsuntide they would ride to arthur's court and yield them to queen guinevere's hands as captives of sir kay the seneschal spoil of his knightly prowess and now here were these half-dozen and the rest would be along as soon as they might be healed of their desperate wounds well it was touching to see the queen blush and smile and look embarrassed and happy and fling furtive glances at sir lancelot that would have got him shot in arkansas to a dead certainty everybody praised the valor and magnanimity of sir lancelot and as for me i was perfectly amazed that one man all by himself should have been able to beat down and capture such battalions of practised fighters i said as much to clarence but this mocking featherhead only said and sir kay had had time to get another skin of sour wine into him ye had seen the account doubled i looked at the boy in sorrow and as i looked i saw the cloud of a deep despondency settle upon his countenance i followed the direction of his eye and saw that a very old and white-bearded man clothed in a flowing black gown had risen and was standing at the table upon unsteady legs and feebly swaying his ancient head and surveying the company with his watery and wandering eye the same suffering look that was in the page's face was observable in all the faces around the look of dumb creatures who know that they must endure and make no moan Mary, we shall have it again sighed the boy that same old weary tale that he hath told a thousand times in the same words and that he will tell till he dieth every time he hath gotten his barrel full and feeleth his exaggeration mill a-working would god i had died or i saw this day who is it merlin the mighty liar and magician perdition singe him for the weariness he worketh with this one tale but that men fear him for that he hath the storms and the lightnings and all the devils that be in hell at his beck and call they would have dug his entrails out this many years ago to get at that tale and squelch it he telleth it always in the third person making believe he is too modest to glorify himself maledictions light upon him misfortune be his dole good friend prithee call me for evensong the boy nestled himself upon my shoulder and pretended to go to sleep the old man began his tale and presently the lad was asleep in reality so also were the dogs and the court the lackeys and the files of men-at-arms the droning voice droned on a soft snoring arose on all sides and supported it like a deep and subdued accompaniment of wind instruments some heads were bowed upon folded arms some lay back with open mouths that issued unconscious music the flies buzzed and bit unmolested the rats swarmed softly out from a hundred holes and pattered about and made themselves at home everywhere and one of them sat up like a squirrel on the king's head and held a bit of cheese in its hands and nibbled it and dribbled the crumbs in the king's face with naive and impudent irreverence it was a tranquil scene and restful to the weary eye and the jaded spirit this was the old man's tale he said right so the king and merlin departed and went until an hermit that was a good man and a great leech so the hermit searched all his wounds and gave him good salves so the king was there three days and then were his wounds well amended that he might ride and go and so departed and as they rode arthur said i have no sword no force 
Footnote from M. T. No matter. Said Merlin, Hereby is a sword that shall be yours, an I may. So they rode till they came to a lake, the which was a fair water and broad, and in the midst of the lake Arthur was ware of an arm clothed in white samite, that held a fair sword in that hand. Lo, said Merlin, yonder is that sword that I spake of. With that they saw a damsel going upon the lake. What damsel is that? said Arthur. That is the Lady of the Lake, said Merlin, and within that lake is a rock, and therein is as fair a place as any on earth, and richly be seen, and this damsel will come to you anon, and then speak ye fair to her that she will give you that sword. Anon withal came the damsel unto Arthur, and saluted him, and he her again. Damsel, said Arthur, what sword is that, that yonder the arm holdeth above the water? I would it were mine, for I have no sword. Sir Arthur King, said the damsel, that sword is mine, and if ye will give me a gift when I ask it you, ye shall have it. By my faith, said Arthur, I will give you what gift ye will ask. Well, said the damsel, go ye into yonder barge, and row yourself to the sword, and take it and the scabbard with you, and I will ask my gift when I see my time. So Sir Arthur and Merlin alight, and tied their horses to two trees, and so they went into the ship, and when they came to the sword that the hand held, Sir Arthur took it up by the handles, and took it with him. And the arm and the hand went under the water, and so they came unto the land and rode forth. And then Sir Arthur saw a rich pavilion. What signifieth yonder pavilion? It is the knight's pavilion, said Merlin, that ye fought with last Sir Pellinore. But he is out, he is not there. He hath ado with a knight of yours, that hight Egleme, and they have fought together, and at the last Egleme fled, and else he had been dead, and he hath chased him even to Corleon, and we shall meet with him anon in the highway. That is well said, said Arthur. Now have I a sword, now will I wage battle with him, and be avenged on him. Sir, ye shall not so, said Merlin, for the knight is weary of fighting and chasing, so that ye shall have no worship to have ado with him. Also he will not lightly be matched of one knight living, and therefore it is my counsel, let him pass, for he shall do you good service in short time, and his sons after his days. Also ye shall see that day, in short space ye shall be right glad to give him your sister to wed. When I see him, I will do as ye advise, said Arthur. Then Arthur looked on the sword, and liked it passing well. Whether liketh you better, said Merlin, the sword or the scabbard? Me liketh better the sword, said Arthur. Ye are more unwise, said Merlin, for the scabbard is worth ten of the sword, for while ye have the scabbard upon you, ye shall never lose no blood, be ye never so sore wounded. Therefore keep well the scabbard always with you. So they rode into Carleon, and by the way they met with Sir Pellinore, but Merlin had done such a craft that Pellinore saw not Arthur, and he passed by without any words. I marvel, said Arthur, that the knight would not speak. Sir, said Merlin, he saw you not, for an he had seen you, ye had not lightly departed. So they came unto Carleon, whereof his knights were passing glad. 
and when they heard of his adventures they marvelled that he would jeopard his person so alone but all men of worship said it was merry to be under such a chieftain that would put his person in adventure as other poor knights did end of chapter three You've been listening to the GSMC Classic Series, part of the Golden State Media Concepts Podcast Network. Follow us at www.gsmcpodcast.com and find all of our timeless programming by typing GSMC Classics into any podcast app, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. Remember to subscribe to the GSMC Classic Series podcasts of your choice to stay up to date on new episodes. And if you could take a minute to give us a nice review, that really helps us to get this ageless programming out to others who would enjoy it just as much as you have. Check out all of our GSMC Classic Series podcasts. Whether you're in the mood for comedy, romance, adventure, history, science fiction, horror, or anything in between, the GSMC Classic Series has you covered. Thank you, and we hope you have enjoyed today's program on the Golden State Media Concepts Podcast Network.